You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Business with Purpose podcast. On the episode this week, I have Katherine Hansen, who is the founder of Moda Baby USA, the cutest, adorable grip start leggings that she developed for crawling babies and, and newly mobile toddlers. But there's so much more behind her business and behind her brand. This woman is, she's only 30 years old, but she has an amazing and really powerful story. She has a vision for this company and for this brand and, and for her life um, that is that goes beyond just creating simple leggings here in the United States. I can't wait for you to hear her story, and I know that you are going to be inspired. So enjoy my conversation with Catherine. Hey, Catherine, welcome to the show. Hi, Molly. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. You have such a great roster of people who've been on your podcast, so I'm thrilled to be included. Oh, well, thank you. I honestly, I, I once I, when I discovered Moda Baby, I guess it was like in December, mm-hmm. something like that. I just, I fell in love with your, <laughs> well, one, the product. I mean, first I... I, you know, when I came across you guys, I went to kind of your about section and I was like, oh my goodness, these are the cutest leggings ever. And they're made in the USA. And then I got a pair and put them on my son. And I was like, these are life changing. So we're going to, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Yes, we are. So we're going to get into all of that. Um, I just, so I'm a huge fan of you guys and, um, and, and you, and, and as I've gotten to know you just kind of over the last couple months, just emailing back and forth and following your social media feeds. I just, I just think the world of you, I think you're the best. So, (laughs) thank you. Um, so with that being said, and I realize my listeners are probably like, um, okay, well get into it. (laughs) Tell us who she is. So, uh, you know, Catherine Hansen, Moda Baby USA, Catherine, I want you to have all of, you know, what all my guests do is they give us the 101. So give us the Catherine 101. Tell us your story, um, (laughs) where you're from, you know, what did you study and what led you to where you are today? Yeah. So um, I have kind of an interesting uh, background um, and life story. Um, My uh, experience growing up in the first 16, 18 years of my life the best way I could describe it is like walking on eggshells, being trapped inside of a pressure cooker that's strapped to a roller coaster. Okay, um, well. It's kind of a, a humorous <laughs> way to say it, but yeah. um, the house I grew up in was was not a great one. Um, there was a lot of abuse going on and mental illness, and it was just not a great scenario, but uh, just living through that and, and going through the process of healing from that, it's uh, it made me a very resilient person. Um, there are just a lot of, there's a lot of abuse going on from physical, emotional, at time physical abuse and, um, and eating disorders. And it was just a madhouse. Wow, <laughs> That's yeah. why I can describe it. Um, and when I was 16, um, I got the opportunity to go to boarding school in Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah. And it wasn't like a school for troubled kids. It was like most people think of boarding school. Um, it's a really prestigious boarding school called the Bowl School, and especially if you're a swimmer, which is what I was, um, to get the opportunity to be a part of the Bulls high school swim team is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So going to boarding school when I was 16 and all, you know, for, you know, in every sense of that phrase, if the phrase that saved my life is really true. Um, I before I went there was just at a point where I just didn't know how long I could keep living like this in our family situation, um, that was going on. And, and, um, you know, when I first went there, I had a lot of success with swimming. We were high school national champions. We set American records. I mean, I, my swimming was like on fire. Um, and shortly after that season, I got really injured and it really, you know, I, I kind of believe everything happens for a reason and it really made me, um, being injured, being out of the water, not being in such an intense routine like I was used to allowed me to, for the first time, um, kind of unclench my fists and realize and start to process what I I had been raised to believe, what I had grown up in, and, and really for the first time start to 
understand the kind of trauma I had lived through my whole life. And that was life changing for me. And I never would have had that opportunity until I went there and to be around, you know, healthy adults for the first time. I mean, I owe everything to that school. One day, I think when I retire and when I'm an old lady, I think I'll go back and be a dorm mom or something because those women and the people who were my coaches at that school just completely changed my life and they've made all the difference for me. Yeah. Anyway, so um, when it came time for me to to go to college, um, I had the opportunity to um, swim at Auburn. Um, and that was like, I don't know if, if, if you know much about the Auburn swim program, but they're like the best. And it was such a dream of mine because wow. I grew up actually in Auburn, um, Alabama. My parents were professors and doctors. And, and so I kind of grew up knowing this team and how wonderful it is. And, and so I, um, <laughs> I go to Auburn and we are going through physicals and everything that you do when you're a student athlete. And all of a sudden, I just start passing out and having all these really horrible heart issues. And what was going on, as we found out, is I was diagnosed with an autonomic nervous system disorder that affects the performance of my blood pressure. So oh my normal people, they have blood pressure, you know, when their heart rate rises, their blood pressure rises, or, you know, their blood pressure responds to help them deal with the situations that they're in. And mine, my system just doesn't do that. And so that's why I was having some performance issues and passing out and feeling very sick. So that effectively, that and, and, and having, uh, blowing out three, well, not blowing out, but having three herniated discs in my back, oh my <laughs> that goodness. was like the end of that. I was like, yeah. you know what? I think I would like to still walk by the time I'm 30. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it, you know, again, it, it was a chance for me to be very, uh, introspective and another uh, opportunity to ask myself the same questions that I had had the opportunity to do when I went to boarding school, which is what, you know, who am I? What do I want out of my life? What's going to make me happy? Yeah. Uh, who am I aside from this really stressful childhood situation that I was brought up in? And who am I aside from the swimming career that I was raised to believe was the end all be all of my existence? Um, and the first thing that really connected with me was art. And art history. Yeah. And, you know, again, things happen for a reason, but I had a, a right before I stopped swimming, I had a horrible swim meet and, and people were looking at me like, you're here to swim. You're so slow. <laughs> like it was just one of those moments where it was like, Oh, this is so embarrassing. But the same day that meet ended, I got, uh, my AP exam test results in the mail from my high school. And I had my last year at high school, I had taken a modern European history AP uh, class. And, and it was like the most wonderful class I'd ever taken. And, and part of the reason why I think I connected with it so much is that our professor, he used art and art history. Well, he used art and, and like famous works of art from these different time periods to help drive the narrative of what was going on with what we were studying. Mm-hmm. And I just connected with it so much. And I had always been a good student, A's and B's, but not exceptional. Um, but having that success in that class and loving it and really connected with it um, really taught me something. And so I come home from this meet, back to our dorm, and I finally get the results from this exam back, and I got a perfect score. Oh, and goodness. I was, like, over the moon about it. Yeah. I was like, I really like that class, but I didn't realize I get a perfect score on the AP exam. But it's so funny to talk about high school now, like 15 <laughs> years later. <laughs> yeah. um, but, it, you know, I, it really, you know, made me think like, all right, so there's something to this that I need to explore. Um, so I decided that art history is what I wanted to do and pursue with my college career. Lo and behold, Auburn did not have an art history major at the oh, time. Oh, no. <laughs> So go figure, yippee. Um, but we had an amazing art museum that was just built. We had an art history minor. And so my major was history, but I studied. I took every art history class I could. Um, I Any history class I took, I always created my own study curriculum so that I involved um, art and, and, you know, different works of art and artists that fed into the zeitgeist of that time, of the period that I was studying. So I really created my own major in that way. And just created opportunities for myself that didn't exist because I wanted to be able to go into a career with these experiences um, that really didn't exist. But I was like, you know what? We have the resources. I'm just going to make it happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
So, um, you know, so that's what I did. And I just, I loved getting to go to class every day. I loved getting to study. I mean, it was just, it was just amazing. And, and I, you know, learned to trust my instincts and trust myself, you know, trust what brings you joy and happiness and, and to learn how to listen to that. Um, and, uh, so, you know, fast forward to, um, you know, the end of my senior year, um, I, I knew I wanted to keep on this track, but, um, I, you know, didn't really know what to do next. I really was interested in business and with contemporary art. And so the obvious next step is to move to New York and work in the art galleries. But I, I wanted to do, I didn't know if grad school was a thing for me. I didn't want to get a PhD. I wanted to go out and work and start my life. Yeah. Um, so I came across, uh, Sotheby's, the, the well-known auction house. They mm-hmm. actually have an MBA program for international, um, art business. And I thought, this is it. This is the thing. It's a one-year program. You get to study abroad. You're put in the middle of all these markets and you are meeting the people who you want to work for. I mean, it, it was like the gateway for me. Yeah. So I go to New York, I interview, I get accepted, which was like, you know, I thought my whole life was made. <laughs> I felt like, this is it. This is what I'm meant to do. I've made it. Yeah, I've made it. I can just, you know, go to sleep now. But um, right when that happened, all the financial markets crashed yeah. and a lot of opportunities that were there before dried up and uh, the funding rules for Sotheby's and for their school had changed it was, it, it's different for a for-profit institution. It's not like going to, you know, a, a, a public school, grad school where you can get, you know, some grad school loans for really low interest rates and you pay it back when you graduate. It was really high interest rates that I was looking at and I would have to start paying it back immediately. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I didn't have parents to, to help me with that. So I had to, make the sad decision to not go to the grad school program that I really was, had my heart set on going to. Um, But I had a friend of mine who was a curator at the Met Museum and she gave me some great advice because I was like, what do I do now? She said, just move to New York, start working and you'll eventually get to where you want to go. You know, you have the attitude where you'll just make it happen and I, I am confident you'll be fine. So that's what I did. I saved up all my money. I always worked when I was in school and just saved every penny I could and I, I moved myself to New York. And um, thankfully, well, luckily, I have a cousin who lives in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. And she was very kind. She was kind enough to uh, let me stay at her house and crash in one of her spare bedrooms. And so <laughs> that was kind of my saving grace. Is, yeah. Yay, I don't have to pay, like, through the nose rent uh, living in New York. Um, so I went there. And, you know, I was in the same boat as everyone else. But I had just graduated where no one had jobs and people who had careers had lost their jobs and they were starting over. So, um, but again, I just had to look for opportunities where, you know, most people would think there are none. Um, I ended up uh, working as an intern three days a week at a company called uh, Louise Bloom Media. There are, they are now like a massive, massively successful like art media company. Um, as an intern, I helped them launch their China division, which was really exciting. Yeah. And then the other two days a week, um, I worked for David Sally, who's a prolific American painter um, at his studio in Fort Greene in Brooklyn. And I really liked going there those two days a week because they gave me $20 a day versus <laughs> the other company that gave me 10 So on those days, I could go down the street to the Green Grape and get the their uh, curry chicken salad, which is so good. So if anyone's listening who lives in Fort Greene, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so... <laughs> So I did that for about six months until, you know, to be honest, my money dried up and, and there were just no jobs to be had there that I could find and, and what I wanted to do. Um, and uh, I actually ended up deciding to move to Los Angeles. The, the guy I was dating, he, after he graduated, moved to L.A. to, to work for a, a movie production company. Um, and so that was my, that was the next step. I was like, all right, well, I'll go see what happens in Los Angeles. Um, I always more of a West Coast type of person and really like the weather out there. So I said, all right, we'll go give this a shot. Um, and within probably six weeks of working there, I had a job at a gallery. Um, and that was thrilling to finally get that opportunity, um, which led to another gig at another gallery, which led to another one. And, and the one that I ended up staying a significant amount of time uh, working for, I started out as an executive assistant to the director and then I, over the couple of years that I worked there, I worked my way up to be one of their directors, which was 
immensely gratifying <laughs> to be able to work your way up with an organization. And, um, you know, I really cut my teeth professionally at that gallery and I learned so much about being a businesswoman, how to sell, how to, how your business is so interconnected with the community that surrounds you yeah. and not just other galleries or other business communities, but how, what we do here influences what goes on at the museums. How does, you know, what's going on at the museums, how does that um, affect uh, the gallery industry? And, and, um, and it was just, uh, it was a huge learning uh, time for me. Um, it was also like the Devil Wears Prada times a million. <laughs> um, oh it was, aside from my childhood, it was probably the most stressful time of my life. Um, but I, that's what I wanted to do and I was doing it and I, I was just grateful to be finally after working so hard to get to that place to be, um, in that position. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, as, uh, we grow and shift and our, things that we want out of life change that, that ended up happening, happening for me. I, I got to the point where I realized, you know, I'm not living my life. I'm not, I'm living in Los Angeles, but I'm not enjoying it. I'm not surfing. I'm not doing the things that make me happy. I'm not really pursuing joy and pleasure in my life. I was like a workaholic. <laughs> and, um, and I began to think, you know, I, I really have loved this industry. It's taught me so much, but I think there are, I think there's some other things that I could be doing with my life. Yeah. Um, and so that's where the seeds of entrepreneurship kind of started before I was not someone I, I'm, you know, traditionally a very risk averse person. So the thought of like starting my own business was kind of like very overwhelming, but I, you know, I just said, you know, I think there's more for me and I'm just going to see what, what's out there. Um, around that time, an architecture firm that designs museum, museums and galleries approached me and, and said, you know, you know this, this market so well, you know all of our you know, people we want to be working for, why don't you come work for us and be our director of business development? So I transitioned from working in an art gallery to an architecture firm, which I knew nothing about, <laughs> but, um, you know, I just... Um, I, I knew their, uh, their market th that they wanted to be in really well. And so it was, it was a good transition, yeah. but, um, and, uh, quickly found out that that was like devil's, you know, the devil wears Prada part two. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and again, found after being there for about a year, found that, you know what, I, I need to do something that maybe is not nearly so stressful that will allow me to have a career work, but also, you know, pursue some happiness in my life and have a really good work-life balance. And I eventually transitioned to work for a lighting design company to do their marketing and, and business development. But to back up to where I was at the gallery, so I had become one of the directors. I was starting to finally make some money. And, you know, when you're in the art world or any type of visual um, industry, the way you look is very important. And I'm not talking like whether you're beautiful or, or, or whatnot. It's, it's how you present yourself is really mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. So the clothes that you wear, how you, you know, it, it's, it says a lot about the gallery and it makes, you know, when you're walking in, when clients are walking into your business and they're looking to spend like millions of dollars, you need to look like, yeah, you know, you're making that money. <laughs> you need to like, yeah. you know, live up to that image. Um, and you know, when you're, young and just starting out, it can be hard to invest in, and in things that help feed that, um, aura. Um, but I remember going for the first time <laughs> and buying, um, a pair of Tory Burch shoes. And at the time, you know, all the Tory Burch flats were like all the rage. And yeah. I was so excited to have like $300 to go buy a pair of shoes to wear to work. So I go and I do that and the pace of my job is very fast paced and I'm not sitting at a desk for eight hours a day. I'm, I'm up running up and down stairs and I'm on my feet and, and you know, it was, a, it was a hardcore life and I would wear these Tory Burch shoes and literally after like three months, they looked like they had been sent through the shredder. They were terrible. And I was so upset because here I was, I spent a good amount of money, like $300 on a pair of shoes and this is what it got me. I was like livid about that. Yeah. So, simmering on that idea, I thought there has to be a place, a website somewhere where women, professional women like me who are busy with their lives but want to invest um, in fashion products that are going to hold up to their pace of their life, 
they should know that there should be a place for them to go to read about, you know, what things they want to buy and invest in. And if it, if it's durable, if it's not, if it's worth the money or if it's not, and I just didn't find anything, anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> so after sitting on this for about a year and, um, just, you know, constantly not really finding myself professionally where I wanted to be, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start this company and it's going to be called SheTrust.com and it's going to be uh, like Yelp or Angie's List for fashion products. That's so that a, was my... That's a brilliant idea. First, yeah. <laughs> so that was like my big idea, my first entrepreneurial venture. And um, at the time, I wanted this to be like a big media company. I wanted to like find uh, tech engineers. I wanted to like go be in the tech incubators. I really wanted to like go balls out at this idea, but I had to, you know, not having the money to do that. And then not also not being a tech engineer or someone who writes code or do, does anything like that. I just kind of had to start from square one and, and go to Squarespace and just start a website and just write reviews of what was in my closet and just, you know, ask my friends to do the same thing. And so we came up with a review uh, criteria. The gold standard that you want to get is called, you know, the trust it rating. And then you have proceed with caution, which means like it could go either way for you, but be careful. And then there is, um, I'm trying to think what it was. Uh, empty promises was like the lowest rating you could get, meaning like you spent a lot of money on this and it turned out to be crap. And then there's the cheap thrills, which is like, well, it was $10 or $5 and you know, uh, you know, maybe it lived up to your expectations. Maybe it actually did really good, but cheap thrills was like a sports bra from target or yeah. something. Um, and so it turned into what it ended up being was a blog. And at the time, this is why I no longer really feed this, uh, website or I'm not working on it anymore is, is I got really frustrated for it not being what I wanted it to be, which I wanted it to be like, I don't know, like the Huffington Post or something for fashion reviews. <laughs> and so it led me to get kind of burnt out. But in hindsight, I didn't stop and, and look and appreciate what it what I did have. And what I did have was like 15 people sending sending me sending me reviews on a weekly basis. You know, our following was growing and I think I mean there was a need for what we were saying in the market and you know who knows where, where it could be now, but yeah. that was my first start. And, and everything just came from this place of like, I think we need to be talking about this. We need to be talking about how our clothes are made, where they come from, how much money we're spending on them. Are they worth that money? Are they not worth that money? And is this practical for our life and our goals and, and the way, you know, and, and what we're doing on a day to day basis, Yeah, which feeds into it, what I do so much. <laughs> um, and then around that time I, I met who is now my husband. Um, we, it was, I never really believe people when they say this, I always thought there, there must be simple or something, <laughs> but when we met, it was like, love at first sight. I knew instantly this is the man I was going to marry. And Aww. we both felt that way about each other. The problem was he lived in South Carolina and I lived in Los Angeles. So how the, how does that work? <laughs> Wait, how did you guys meet? Uh, huh? Uh, so we met actually through my stepmom. Uh, he went to veterinary school with, with my stepmom and, and, um, I met him actually when they got married, gosh, maybe like five or six years ago. Now they're now divorced. That's a whole other story. But, um, yeah, so he came to their wedding and we met each other and, and he's about 20 years older than me. So there's, a little bit of an age difference. And, yeah. and I didn't think he would be interested in me. He didn't think I would be interested in him. Um, and then we reconnected about a year later and it was like, this is it for both of us. I love um, it. And then I, you know, just was getting really kind of burned out with living in Los Angeles. It's, it's a hard city to live in. Like anyone who's lived in a city like that or New York, it, it's a grind and it's hard to save money. And, you know, I made the decision to move to, uh, South Carolina to be with him. Shortly thereafter, we found out we were expecting our son. And so all of us within the next few months, my whole life changed. I moved from LA to South Carolina. We were expecting a baby. We were, you know, pretty much starting out in our relationship. And it was kind of a whirlwind scenario. But given what I've been through in my life, up to that point, I'm like, no, oh, this is just what happens. <laughs> like I just kind of rolled with it. 
and just said, all right, well, let's, let's see what happens. And, uh, you know, felt very lucky to have found the love that I had found, found with my husband. Um, and then I was able to, because of the nature of my life, my husband was, he, he's a veterinarian and he owns his own practice and he was in the process of selling it. Um, and we both wanted to move from where his business was and Aiken, South Carolina, which is about two hours from Charleston. And we wanted to, to settle and live in Charleston. So we were kind of in between two cities and, and, uh, you know, we, it didn't make sense for me to go right back into work and into a career. So I actually stayed at home for like a little, you know, almost two years, you know, during most of my pregnancy. And then when my son was born, um, I kind of was off the professional work entrepreneur circus wagon. (laughs) I kind of like took some time and enjoyed the simple things. And, you know, I got the amazing opportunity to be at home with my son, which I know a lot of, uh, I know a lot of women who don't get that opportunity and they have to, you know, take their, their child to daycare at three months. And, and my heart just goes out to women like that. I just have to say, because I just maternally, it would break my heart in hindsight after doing all this, but I know it's, something that people have to do. But anyway, I was really fortunate to be able to stay at home with him um, until the right opportunity came up for me. Uh, I'm actually, I'm still currently working for a construction management company as their director of business development. Um, So I'm straddling two roles. (laughs) You are just (laughs) like Jane of all trades. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, but here's the interesting thing. And I'll touch on this uh, when I, when we talk about Moto Baby is, um, I really love the work that I do professionally and I love the company I work for and, and my job is going out and building relationships and meeting people all over town and being very involved in the business community, Yeah, which yeah. is like, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I, I really enjoy both things. My life's crazy, but I really like it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so after, um, getting to Moda baby, finally, um, after, uh, you know, my son was born and, and he, he was coming on uh, almost a year and a half and he still was not walking and he crawled for forever and he was not a, a you know a sensitive crawler like he crawled everywhere on everything and our you know we were back and forth between two houses and it was just so hard to deal with those logistics and you know, look after a crawling baby all over the place and then you're worried about what surfaces, what surfaces they're on, you know, especially with all the hardwood floors and homes these days, yeah. is he going to slip and fall? And I wanted him to be very self-sufficient, but I, you know, I just always had anxiety about the slipping and the falling and, and the things you can't control, but you have to anticipate them as a mother. And yep. anyway, so I came up with this idea for crawling leggings for babies and toddlers and I didn't see anything like that on the market, and and I was really just not happy with the pants that I would buy for him. They were just wore out really quickly. They looked great maybe when you first bought them, but then you washed them and they fell apart, or they piled really easily and you got holes. And the only thing that was durable enough really were was you know was denim, and that's like the worst material to put like babies in because you have to change their diaper all the time and oh, they can't yeah. move like they should. I mean, it was just a mess. So. I thought of this idea and I I ended up working with uh, someone who makes patterns and prototypes and she made me a prototype of, um, of this design and it worked so well. I was like, this has to be a thing. Like other moms need this. (laughs) Like how does this not exist really? Um, so what, you know, for people who don't know, uh, what this product ended up being is the grip start leggings. And so we use a, a fabric that's a bamboo cotton blend that, is I love this fabric so much. It's, it's so durable and you can wash it a million times and it doesn't pile. It doesn't look used and worn and it actually kind of stretches enough so that if your child's kind of growing out of a size, you know, he can wear it, he or she can wear it a little bit longer and it kind of goes with them a little bit longer than other uh, play wear. Yeah. Um, we uh, got gripper fabric. Uh, I found a high end, uh, a really good quality manufacturer of gripper fabric in New York. Um, and they, um, so what we do is we sew, we integrate the gripper fabric into the knee and also the seat area of, um, of the leggings. So it helps with crawling, helping them have more stability. 
And it also helps them with stability when they're learning to sit and also when babies are scooting because not all babies crawl. You know, babies have all different weird ways of moving. Yeah. <laughs> and I literally had someone come up to me at an event about a month ago and she walks in and she sees the leggings and she had the same reaction everybody does. Like, oh, these are so cute. And then she turns it over and as she turns it over, she goes, but I wish there was some on the back, like the gripper fabric on the back. And as she turns pants over, she sees them and she's like, oh my God. I can't believe like I found this because my friend's baby is scooting all the time. She keeps, she keeps slipping and, um, and we just can't find any pants or anything that works. And, and I'm just so thrilled. And she bought like four pairs that day. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, I'm, you know, it's great to have that validation, you know, with people who are, who are buying your products. So, so anyway, so that's how the idea for, uh, the grip start leggings came about. And in just thinking about a, a company name, I just love minimal design, and I just kept thinking about a black and white Bauhaus-style font, um, and I just loved the name Moda, and Moda, which is Italian for style, but it, in English, it incites the idea of movement, Yeah, uh, also blends in style, so I just kept coming back to, to Moda Baby, and um, you know, we, I just took my time with it and, and I interviewed, uh, some manufacturers and I also needed help with, um, some of the, uh, you know, grading sizes and honing in on our final prototype and, and anyone who's ever manufactured something for the first time and doesn't come from this world, it can be very intimidating because there are a lot of things that you, you, you don't know about, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. about this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up partnering with a company called Clothier Design Source. They're in South St. Paul, Minnesota, and they were able to take all the work I had done. I had some uh, some patterns done, and I had, um, uh, you know, I had I had a lot of work done. I had fabric source and everything, but they were able to do things like hone in on, on our final design, do a tech pack, um, and um, and get it to the point where. They, it was ready to manufacture, and uh, they were able to. They're also a small batch manufacturer, so they were able to do do our first line of products uh, for us. Um, and it's it's been a great partnership, and that was a great way. Someone who doesn't have a fashion background, who doesn't know how to do this, you know, as a career, um, they were great partners. Um, so yeah, that's that's how the Grip Start Leggings came to life. And it was odd. Like I, as soon as I started working with this manufacturer, because I didn't know if this was going to take off or this was even going to be a thing making these, these leggings. And it, you know, the first day I started working with this manufacturer is the day I, so I, I accepted the position with uh, the company I work for now. So <laughs> it was kind of like, all right, strap in. We're about to take off. <laughs> like you're, you're doing this. It's happening. Yeah, it's happening. And, you know, and, uh, you know, when I lived in LA before and I was running She Trust and I also uh, had my day job I was doing, you know, it's hard to do both. And it's hard to, uh, you know, have what you do all day and then you come home and you're up all night and up early in the mornings feeding your passion. Um, and just being a mom and having a family on top of that, like, that's been a challenge. But thankfully, uh, the work I do is, it's, it's really flexible and that it, you know, one thing feeds itself. So somehow the puzzle pieces of all kind of come together. Um, I was thinking about it just kind of, as you were telling your story, just how, Mm -hmm. I mean, every little thing in your life has formed you and shaped you and given you the foundation you need because you, I mean, you are just kind of, you're the, (laughs) You're the like epitome of work hard, focus, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. do the work (laughs) like you never I mean, you definitely just I mean, in everything you were sharing for me from just the, you know, the household that you grew up in to having the opportunity to go to a dream boarding school to getting that, you know, dream, the swimming role at Auburn to having that come (laughs) crashing down. I mean, just all the things. But you just you just kept persevering and persevering and you just um you know, you you worked and you realized that like nothing is going to get handed to you. Um, and yeah. that um, <laughs> but that that is the type of person and that's the type of personality and the type of foundation that you need to succeed mm-hmm. in this, especially the culture that we live in right now. And I think that that's something that gets lost 
um, you know, there's always there's that, you know, the the thing that people talk about now is like everybody gets a p- participation trophy and, you know, like and everybody yeah. gets a, everybody gets a <laughs> ribbon and we're going to make everybody feel like a special snowflake. Um, and, I you know, yeah. I'm not, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where I but I think our generation, because you and I are how old are you? Um, I just turned 30 this year. OK, so I'm 31. So we're I mean, we're yeah. in the same, you know, kind of bracket of age age group if you were we're sort of that like right we're I don't some people say we're in the millennial generation I actually don't think so I I think that the millennials are sort of that generation right after us Um, I agree yep yeah but I think that our generation is sort of that generation that sees both sides because we see our parents' generation and how they grew up and how they were raised I mean like my parents grew up you know, going to Irish uh, or Catholic school and like had the, you know what, beaten out of them by nuns. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then the generation after us is the like, you're a special snowflake. Everybody gets a participation trophy. Oh, let's make sure that we send him to the ER for a scraped knee kind yeah. of generation. And our generation yeah. is seeing both sides and is like, is now raising the generation, I guess, after millennials or sort of yeah. like our kids' generation. <laughs> Yeah, kind of, we're, we're kind of in some ways maybe overcompensating, but then in other ways, I think we're finding that happy medium between, um, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you are not going to ever succeed in life at all ever. And, you you know, beat beat you down versus <laughs> like, like, let's treat everybody as the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? We're finding that happy medium. And I realize that's yeah. a very roundabout way for me to say just. I think you have a really um, you have the type of work ethic and the type of attitude that's that will sustain you for oh, the long you. haul. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I hope so. You know, since I, you know, just talking about all this is like, oh, my gosh, how am I only 30 years old? I feel like an old woman who has like lived five million lives already. But, you know, it's <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. It's I a mean, lot can is, happen in a short amount of time. Yeah, I mean, life is just you just. You know, we make plans and God laughs. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I think, you know, what is being talked and talked about more and more as being, um, you know, I just heard a, a podcast the other day about emotional agility and the tyranny that positivity can have on, on our society of like, no, just you have to stay positive or happiness is all that matters. And, and that can be helpful in certain situations, but uh, learning to be, you know, what uh, Susan David was the guest on this podcast, what she talks about is it's being agile with your emotions, being accepting of the emotions you have and accepting of what you're experiencing instead of saying, this is not allowed, I'm not allowed to be sad or depressed or anxious, you know, I have to be happy, happy, happy. And in the, and in the long run, that just, you know, that, that doesn't work out, you know, yeah. and, and no matter what, you know, life circumstances, you know, what it throws your way or where you find yourself in, just being able to deal with yourself emotionally and having the confidence within yourself that this is okay that I feel this way or this is okay that this is not working out. And, you know, just learning to trust yourself and trust yourself as a resource for yourself um, is something that I, I really encourage uh, for people to do. Yeah. And, I think uh, being, to learn just, more about <laughs> just being self aware. And I think yes. that the older, the older that I get, um, and I see this in my friends too, just the older you get. And I, and I, I think this is part of why I love I love old people so much. This, I really don't, I don't mean this in like a creepy or like weird way, but yeah, I'm like yeah. I love old people. I volunteered at a nursing home in college. Um, I could sit and listen to old people tell stories all day long, like because they are, you know, they are at that point in life where they are fully self aware. They've mm-hmm. lived, they've experienced, they've seen it all, and you can learn so much from that. And um, and just even in my dad always jokes that I'm well into my 30s. I'm like, Dad, I'm 31. He's like, Well, you're well into your 30s. I'm like, Okay, well, you're well into your 70s. You know, so, uh, but but it's that it's that emotional maturity that comes along with age, and it just and I you know I don't know why when when I was in my 20s I was like I'm gonna be I don't want to turn 30, and I'm like, Man, I love my 30s. And then I talk to my friends who are in their 40s, and they're like, I love my 40s, mm-hmm. and. It's because you just become more confident in who you are and 
your abilities and your strengths and your weaknesses. Like you know what you're good at and you know what you're not good at. And um, obviously there's still insecurities that we all struggle with at, at yeah. any age. Um, that's a, but these are, I mean, these are normal, natural human emotions um, and human mm-hmm. experiences. Like we, we learn that life is tough, that life can be really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you faced some really terrible things in your in your formative years and you know you realize that like life life can suck sometimes yeah. but then we also see i mean i you know i had some experiences as a kid as well that just you know were really tough and i wouldn't wish on anyone um but those things have also made me appreciate how beautiful life can be and how awesome life can be and what a gift it is um and this is such a roundabout way to talk about and the <laughs> fact that like you then started this this legging company for babies and I'm like I'm like getting really deep here. Yeah. We're- no, I mean everything I'm a big Rob Bell follower. Yeah. So and as he says, everything is spiritual. Um oh, the yeah. work that we do in our careers, the kind of choices we make as parents, the way we live, I mean everything feeds into our soul and, and what we do and, yes. and everything you know, that I stand for with quality and integrity, you know, honesty, honesty is a big thing with me because I think a lot of my life was lived in denial. Like we don't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just a lot, all that has fed into my business at, at Moda Baby and, and what we stand for. And, and, um, you know, something that I, you know, it's, it's hard because I have a lot of ambitions for this company, but you know, when you're new, you're just starting out, you have to really watch your cash flow. You can't launch new products and new partnerships as quickly as you would like. But, um, something I really am passionate about or want to do with this company is be supportive of, of organizations who advocate for children of abuse families and family, you know, families where abuse has gone on. And one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about it is not, you know, that's what I lived, but my family was not a family that you thought maybe something bad was going on. And we wore this, wore the right clothes. We drove the right cars. We went to the right church. You know, my parents are doctors for God's sakes, you know, but, but no one knows what goes on behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I know like looking back, some of these behaviors, like this, a lot of this stuff didn't just exist in a a vacuum. I know there had to have been teachers or swim coaches or someone along the way that said like, this is not normal, you know, (laughs) what's, what may be going on. And, and, you know, and so, but not a lot of people want to want to talk about that when it looks like it's going on in a, in a good neighborhood or, family that goes to church every Sunday and, and, you know, and that was kind of a part of the whole reinforcing this facade that no, everything is okay here when no, everything is, is not okay. Yeah. And so, and it's so great that, you know, children of physical abuse and sexual abuse, you know, are getting, you know, that's really been talked about a lot more, but, but something that's not really talked about so much is emotional abuse. And I spent most of my teen years with eating disorders and that was a direct result of the emotional abuse that I, you know, happened with in in my family and with both of my parents. And, and, you know, that's very tricky because it's, you know, especially when you get in instances of divorce and and things like that, you know, it's, it's complicated, it's complicated issue, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And it's not something to be talked about. Like right after my son was born, there was this falling out and I, I don't have relationships with both my parents for their own reasons, separate reasons. As an adult, I just had to say, I can't live like this anymore. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like yeah. I, I owe this to myself to be happy. But yeah. after my son was born, there was this falling out with my, with my dad. And the, the glue that had hold, held that relationship together was my stepmom. And she was, I, she'd been with my dad since, since she was six, since I was 16. And she was like my mother for all intents and purposes. But I couldn't say what was happening because if I was honest about what was going on and I, and the house that I lived in, she wouldn't be there. She would go away. There's, and then what would happen to me, you know? So, you know, there, it's very complex and, and especially when you're a child, you're being forced to play a game that adults and their dysfunction are engaging in. Yeah. So, sorry, this has turned into no. like a weird therapy session, but no, 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 um, you know, great. after, but I couldn't, that's that kind of you know it was like a almost like a big cover up like no one could speak honestly about what 
was going on. Yeah. And then after my son was born, he, he's, my dad has a, a mental illness and that's part of a lot of this. And I'm learning more about reading a book about the mental illness he has is like made so much of my life make sense. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but this thing had happened right after my son was born where it suddenly the facade fell off with that relationship. And it was so incredibly traumatic because I felt like I was reliving all of that stuff again. Right. And to be a new mom with a, a new baby, that, I think my son was only like three months old. I mean, and dealing with those emotions and now having to revisit a lot of these things and finally accept that my, my father was an abusive father and I can finally say it and articulate it. And like, this is really what happened to me. And just being able to own it and tell my story yeah. has been incredibly healing for me in ways that I could never heal. I mean, it, there was always, it was always there, but I can never talk about it. I can never deal with it. And finally it just, the whole facade fell off. Yeah. The band-aid was ripped off and finally I had to deal with it. And it was a painful process and, you know, every day I'm getting better at it. But, um, you know, it's, I, I forgetting the point I, I made with that, but no, <laughs> I mean, I think, is, you know, in dealing, you know, with, you know, issues where, you know, in families where abuse is going on, I yeah. think it's really important to discuss what abuse looks like. It, it yes. d doesn't look like uh, bruises. On, it does look like it's not only bruises on a kid's arm mm -hmm. or, you know, cigarette burns in a, in a leg. It's, it's, there are emotional scars that often have far more deeper and hidden implications and, you know, injuries than yeah. what one might normally think. So yeah. anyway, so that's part of my mission for Moda Baby is to feed back, you know, give back to organizations that are doing that, that good work. Yes. And to help be an advocate yes. uh, for children who can't speak for themselves and who are bound, you know, they just want it to be over and they're bound by court decisions and, and things like that. And, yeah. but no one's advocating for, for their emotional best interest yeah. um, and traditional structures. So, yeah. um, so yeah, so no, everything be everything that I've been through, everything that I'm passionate about feeds what I, I want to do for Moda, do with Moda Baby. Yeah, so I know. I And I thank you for sharing your story and for being so vulnerable. I mean, I know that just, I mean, just even the snippet that you shared is going to, it's going to impact so many people. And I think, um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, that is one of the reasons, I, I mean, your, it's stories like yours that are one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is because a lot of times people just see, um, they see a, a product, they see a brand, they see a business, whether it's a service-based business or a product-based business, they see um, a nonprofit, um, and, but they don't see the, the work behind it. They don't see the motivation behind it. They don't see the why behind it necessarily. I mean, maybe, maybe you know, you have a very clear, uh, you know, like, a, like my friend Bethany Tran with The Root Collective. I always use her as an example because, you know, she went to Guatemala. She saw poverty in Guatemala. She saw a need. And so she wanted to fill that need by providing jobs for uh, former gang members in the slums of Guatemala. And then she sells a, a beautiful product that has like this really positive impact that it's making. Um, and then you have other people like um, uh, my friend, Caitlin James, who is a wedding photographer. And yes, yeah, she takes these beautiful pictures, but you know, and so we see, oh, wow, look at these beautiful pictures. And she's a really talented photographer. Um, but we don't see the you don't necessarily see the heart and the why behind why she's so passionate about yeah. wedding photography and why it's more than just images. Um, but telling those stories and telling the why behind things um, can really make it that much more powerful. And I think we live in this world where it's everybody's best foot forward with social media. It's everybody's highlight reel <laughs> and yeah. everybody looks awesome and their life is perfect. And you see their room that is so beautifully decorated. It looks like Joanna Gaines did it. And, but what you don't see is all the crap that people pushed to the side in order to take the cute styled picture and so there's yeah. a giant mess over in the corner I know <laughs> and like and you don't see um you know I post a cute picture of Amos asleep in his crib and I'm like look at this cute baby asleep in his crib but you don't see the um poop and the pee and the puke that I was covered in 15 minutes earlier yeah. in order yep. to get him to go to sleep 
Um, you know, you know, you don't see, um, you know, you might see a beautiful meal that somebody cooked and you're like, wow, look at that meal that they cooked. Oh my goodness. But you don't see the screaming children that were at their feet the entire time they cooked the meal. And you also maybe don't see the giant glass of wine that is next to the plate. (laughs) That is, you know, I mean, obviously these are really simple yet, yet real life examples of like life is hard, but we all have these desires that, I mean, you know, I'm a Christian. So that's where this is the, the, the viewpoint that I come from, or I guess the lens I see things, but like Mm -hmm. God placed these, these desire, everything that happens in our life, God placed there, um, whether it was good, whether it was bad, it's not like that God wants us to experience bad things, but Mm -hmm. everything is there because it gives us, it gives us a perspective as, and it gives us a passion, um, that Mm -hmm. ultimately we're able to do something greater for his glory. Um, and so you know, you've, you just tell such a powerful story that then leads you to creating something that, you know, while somebody sees like, oh, wow, these are really cute leggings for a baby, or here's a cute baby brand that, um, you know, that, that is functional. And yes, this is a product that I could, I mean, like Amos has two pairs of leggings. And I'm like, I need to buy 17 pair, more pairs oh, because they're amazing. That. Cause he's, cause he's in full blown, yeah. like crawling mode now. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. But the other, the other thing too, is like, I, it's not that I just love the product. It's that I, I now know a little bit, even, even a little bit more. And that was even before talking to you. Cause I mean, I <laughs> went to the about section and I was like, Oh, these are, these are made in the USA and this is so cool. And they're made out of bamboo. And like, there's a, there's an intentionality behind it. Mm-hmm. And I love that you just really take that to heart in so many ways. And I'm rambling, but. <laughs> oh no, I love it. Keep it coming. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, thank you so much. I, I'm just honored that, you know, even one person has bought a pair and that they love them as, as much as I do. And, you know, you know, it's, this is, this has been a great journey launching this company, developing this product. I hope it lives on for many, many years, yes. but you know, at the end of the day, what's most important to me is my family, yeah. my son, you know, the type, the way that I raise him. Um, and you know, the relationship I have with my husband and, and our family unit, because yes. where I came from was such a disaster. So for me to get this opportunity to create something my, for myself, um, is just a tremendous opportunity, but that is the core of what I do at the end of the day. And that's who I come home to. And, 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 you know, it's, it's a good feeling to feel confident in yourself enough to fail. And, you know, that's okay. You know, there will be other things and I've got this amazing family to, to rely on. And so I hope it doesn't fail. I'm working hard not to, but (laughs) you know, it'll be okay. And, and, you know, I, I've got that inner peace to, to, you know, carry me through. So but the fact that like, I mean, this has been what, two, two and a half years in the making for you. Yeah. So yeah, I first got the idea. Reese was like maybe six months old and he's about to turn three. So yeah, yeah, I mean, and it took a while to act on things because I was immersed in in doing things for my family and, and being a stay at home mom and you know, the house we lived in at the time, it barely had cell service unless you stood in one particular corner (laughs) of the house. And, and so it was hard to like get big phone calls, but you know, and also at the same time I was starting to develop this product, I, I uh, read an article uh, where uh, Carrie Mori uh, was interviewed. And I don't know if you know her, but she is, um, she owns Hot Little Biscuit, which is a yeah. storefront of biscuit shop here in Charleston. And she started out with uh, selling uh, her grandmother's uh, homemade uh, uh, biscuits. And it's this big business now. And she's been wildly successful. But she was saying, you know, at, you know, in the early days when my children were very young, it didn't take off immediately. It, it grew at its own pace and it went a lot slower because I was very devoted to my family and, and doing things I needed to do for them. It grew at a slower pace and I had to learn to be accepting of that and I had to be mm-hmm. okay with it. And, you know, I just had to have patience with myself. And, and that was really amazing for me to hear because I'm kind of a zero to 60 type of person and I want to make things happen right away. And, and that's also something that motherhood has taught me is just slow down yeah, and be present and don't be perfect. Be present. You yep. know, Shauna Nyquist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Preach. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and learning how to be present in your business and not perfect and not fast paced. And it's, it's easy to get caught up in what other people are doing and, 
and how many likes this one business is getting on their, you know, Instagram post or, you know, what stores this line is getting carried in. And, you know, it's easy to get caught up in what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you have to come back to, you know, what, what's your vision? You know, how are you going to get there? What's important to you on a day-to-day basis? And, and trust that eventually it will get to where it needs to go. But it's easier said than done sometimes. <laughs> well, I am going to be here cheering you on the whole time. And I just think that um, I can't wait to see where you take it. And yeah, I mean, you're... Your your baby legging business is in its baby stage, and so I mean, you know, you're it's and that's okay. And yeah, you you hear all these stories about um, like I was listening to a podcast yesterday. It's this well known author who like didn't start writing until forty four. Mm-hmm. 44 I mean yeah. and you you look at like I mean I think what Tina Fey made her first movie in her mid-30s and like you know you just think it about yeah. all these people who are super uber successful and you don't see all the work and the time and all the things that went behind and and yeah you there's going to be the the rare unicorn that has the overnight success but that's that's not the norm but I, I you know you don't you don't give up you persevere you work and um and you have a passion and you have a vision too. I mean, I love hearing your vision for eventually taking your business to a point where you are making an impact on kids who uh, grew up, who are growing up in a household like you did and, and you know, and you've experienced that. And so you have that drive and you have that vision to, to make a positive impact for them. And so I, I just, I, I can't wait to see, um, like I said, I can't wait to see what you've done and, or what you do and, um, I, that just means I'm going to have to have you back on the show um, so yeah, we can tell more stories. Fun. And then when you <laughs> launch the next product line or, uh, you know, when you're when you've made it big and you're in Nordstrom, um, <laughs> you, know. you will be my first call, Molly. Yes. <laughs> yes. Do it. Uh, we're speaking it into existence. Yes. Um, it's going to happen. So, Catherine, before we kind of wrap up here, um, yeah. what how, what's the best way that people can uh, connect with you online if they want to find out more about you, find out more about mm-hmm. Moda Baby, if they want to shop? Moda Baby and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, our website is modababy.com and that's spelled M-O-D-A-B-A-B-Y.com. And we are also on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest. Uh, but Instagram and Facebook is where you can uh, follow us on a daily basis. You can follow our Instagram stories and see what we're up to. Yeah. Um, you know, in our crazy life, we live on a barrier island outside of Charleston and, and we love the outdoors. We surf a lot and, and, you know, life is always very interesting when you have a two year old. So, you know, you just never know what's going on. So you can keep up with us that way. Um, and a little side note, we're not on Twitter because Twitter just drives me nuts. So (laughs) (laughs) but Facebook and Instagram is our main jam. Um, and we also just recently started our blog, um, and I, I kind of, I miss writing and I, I want to incorporate that and those stories into, um, into Moda Baby and our website. So, um, I think this week I wrote about, we recently got back from Barbados. We took a, every year we go there for a little family surf vacation and, and on the way home, my son was just having one of the, the, those glorious toddler, you know, days. Oh, <laughs> and I, I was love like them. staring longingly at this group of bachelorettes on a weekend getaway. And I was like, oh my God, I would give anything to be that again. But anyway, <laughs> so that was my latest blog post is, you know, those feelings about this time in our lives. It's complex and it's difficult. But anyway, yeah. so that's the blog is also where we kind of tell these stories and, and, and speak honestly about, you know, the various emotions we have as human beings and stories and journeys. So anyway, yeah. so yeah, so that's where um, everyone can can, re- can reach us and you can buy uh, your, uh, the Moda Baby leggings on our website, so motobaby.com. So. And what are the sizes that they go from? Yeah, so they start at three months and they go up to 24 months. Awesome. Uh, so, you know, uh, you know, young size or small size of three months, but one of our fit models was actually a little girl who was two and she fit into the six months size. So, you know, we, I think we've got all of our, our sizes covered and every color. So we have four basic, four kind of neutral, gender neutral colors. Um, and every color, uh, comes with both black or white gripper fabric. So you've got, you've got a lot of choices, um, eight different colorways to choose from. And they're super cute. They're just super oh, cute. Thank you. <laughs> In addition to being I functional. I think so, but it's so. great to hear. Yeah. 
I love it. Catherine, thank you so much for um, for just being so vulnerable and so honest and uh, for sharing your story. And like I said, I mean, I have like 17,000 more questions that I want to ask you. So that just <laughs> means that I have to have you back on the show. So um, Anytime. it's a date. It's a date. Yeah. All right, Catherine, thank you so much. Thank you, Molly. Okay, guys, how powerful was Catherine's story? I was speechless at times. I just could not believe you know, just how honest and how vulnerable she was. And it just really, it blessed me. And I know that it blessed so many of you. Um, be sure to check out Catherine's brand, Motobaby USA at motobaby.com. Um, just send her a note of encouragement. Um, leave a comment on Instagram and let her know what the show meant to you. Um, and be sure to tell a friend. Um, and again, thank you guys so much just for listening week in and week out. I can't even begin to tell you how much your encouragement, your comments, your reviews mean to me. Um, I would actually love it if you have not already, um, go to iTunes and leave a review for the show because that that really helps us out. It also lets me know what you're liking, what you don't like. Um, and be sure to give me some feedback. You can either email me at molly at stillbeingmolly.com or you can leave a comment on Instagram or on Twitter where I'm at stillbeingmolly. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.